0: Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman.
1: Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today is a friend of mine, business partner. and working together here for about six months. He's uh, He's an expert in sales, expert in relating to people, relating to sellers, and also finding deals. Happy to uh, invite my guest on here, Andy Freeman. Andy, thanks for coming on, man. It's gone for a long time, no see. <laughs> yeah, long time, no see. Well, Andy, obviously I, I know you well, working together. Um, but for those of those of us listening that don't, which, why don't you give us a little bit of your background, uh, what your careers look like, and then how you made the switch in MHP.
2: Yeah, awesome. So basically went to college, got an accounting degree. This would be quick, but went 10 years, slaving away, doing accounting, not really moving up. And then by, you know, just kind of coincidence, I ended up taking a car sales job and with Toyota and, you know, I spent the last five years selling cars and just really gave it my all bus in my butt, saved every single, you know, every single penny. I, I, I bought a nice couch and that's about it. I just saved, saved, saved for five years. But the catch there is when you're selling cars, you're only, you know, you're zero to hero in one month, you have a good month and you got to start all over the next month, take a day off, you're not making any money. There's no sitting back at home on the couch and and watching any kind of income stream come in. So I kind of came to that realization that I I can't work this hard. You know, it's just, it's not a sustainable long-term plan. And I started, you know, listening to podcasts, you know, getting everything I could into my brain on the MHP space. And, you know, started during COVID, I started writing out letters and, you know, direct mail to owners, got some deals under contract, and then kind of, you know, we'll go into kind of details how I partnered and such, but my, my goal was just to find some mobile home parks to buy, to get out of the car sales business and, you know, kind of take off from there.
1: Yeah, and no, I, I know also, you know, you were one of the top salesmen at Toyota and one of the top in the country even. So how, how does that translate into MHP? I mean, you obviously had a drive, you had a hustle, you're making a good income, but as we've discussed many times, the income, ordinary income, commission-based, especially in California, gets taxed pretty hard versus a real estate professional, uh, considerably more tax advantages, bonus depreciation, cost segregation, things of that. But uh, how, do, how have you used your skills? And, and from the beginning, did you use your scale, skills and you know, kind of maintaining a, a database and maintaining rapport with sellers that in, in the car business? buyers, but in the home business, you know, sellers, tell us how, how you've kind of made that transition work. Yeah. So, I mean, I
2: had an accounting background and those sales, sales kind of frightened me in a way. So I definitely am not your stereotypical salesman that's pushy and, you know, tries to corner someone to say in the dealer. What I really learned was the best way to make a sale is be consistent, follow up, not be pushy, answer their questions, be responsive, respond right away. So I would, you know, I would respond if a customer emailed at 11 at night I had a, reply back at 11 at night. i wake up in the middle of the night, respond to email. It just was, that's just what I did. So I took that over to the mobile home park industry when I was trying to look for deals during COVID. Everyone was, you know, oh, we're, we're scared. We're sitting at home, not doing anything. We're free from, you know, we're off work. Yay. I was waking up at six, writing letters, building the database. I mean, I did, I did that. A girlfriend thought, I was just, why are you, what are you doing? I, You know, because I'm working 12 hours, 15 hours a day, just building this database. And there's no immediate... Results or rewards for doing that, right? It's it's something that it proved to take, you know, proved to be the fruits of my labor. I didn't recognize until you know six to eight months down the road, if, if not even longer. So it's not an immediate results that you're going to see, which is kind of the tough thing that what gets a lot of people discouraged. So basically, I took the car sales kind of hustle. It's it's a short. It's not a short term, you know. It's, it's a, it takes long term effort to get the long term goal. It's not a, it's not a quick fix. So yeah, it's kind of what I did, and then like I said did that for about a year of doing direct mail, building the database, and then you know it's, it's all kind of come full circle within the last year.
1: Right now, you don't have to give away your special sauce, but tell us more about the database. I know you've got a unique system and it's, it's worked out really well at finding off-market deals, direct to seller, and you know all over the country is where you started. Now you've kind of zeroed in on a handful of states, but uh, if you can share any tips with our audience, uh, please do. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So I, I kind of just took the the Burn Insurance approach. I, I built a database for almost every state. I'm from California. One of the only states I didn't build was California because the oh, whole I don't I don't want to be buying real estate in California. The tenant laws favor the tenant big time, and so I just built a database. Um, you know, built every state. I, I pulled just the list of the parks off MH Village, but I single I didn't hire a VA to actually build the database or plot the locations. I plotted every location on the map, saw an overview of the park. got familiar with the park so that when you're, you know, you're calling talking to a seller, writing, you know what you're talking about. You don't, you know, you don't look dumb. So it's, it's easier possibly to outsource and have someone else do it, but the knowledge you gain while building the database helps you once you talk with the seller. So I literally just, I know I plotted 30 states, so i letters everywhere, um, you know, and then kind of just kept going from there. I got, got responses, pretty well to the letters. Uh, This is one tip. I know people send postcards and do printed mail. I I, I do handwritten letters um, with, with, may have a female, maybe write them. So they're legible. And then, you know, you get, I I got 0% response on a postcard campaign. And then I switched to handwritten letters. And I mean, I probably got 5%, which I know sounds low, but for direct mail, it's pretty high. So that was the best, you know, my first call back, I started getting calls from the letters I'd written to sellers. I'm like, wow, this is actually starting to work. And,
1: you know, kind of just kept going from there. That's great. And tell us what your goal was at the beginning and then kind of how that goal changed. I know mean, there's a lot of guys trying to wholesale deals, flip deals, or some guys trying to buy just, I spoke to a guy the other day. He's like, I want to buy one park in my town, own all the houses. Just, that's my retirement. That's fine. That's difficult. Some people say, I want to own 50 parts um, and no and no parking rooms. Others want to own just by themselves. Others want to syndicate. Others want to take a small piece of the deal and not have to work. Um, Tell us kind of what your goal was and, and how that started and how that kind of changed over time.
2: Yeah, the goal definitely changed over time. Right now where I'm sitting, I didn't, didn't expect to be sitting where I'm sitting now. But my main goal, so fast forward, a year before I left the car industry, I decided to sell my house in California. I, I was going all in on buying mobile home parks, right? So I sold my house, moved in with my girlfriend in a little small condo with her mother. I mean, I had, you know, it was a short, it was a long, you know, sacrifice a year of my life to work hard towards a greater goal. So save the money from selling my house. And I was going to plan to buy a mobile home park myself. right? So I was kind of, I'd gotten pretty good responses on my letters and calls, but I was a little bit trying to cherry pick the park I bought. And um, so long story short, I got three parks under contract, Kansas City, Des Moines, and Ohio. And I I was going at it, trying to close them all myself. I was doing due diligence myself. I flew out to Ohio, then went to Iowa. I mean, been to Kansas city. So I, I was trying to do this all myself with no experience. I had what I thought was the funds to close it, close these deals. But as I, you know, down the road learned, learned it's not just about having the money. You, there's, there's so much more involved in which I think we'll get into, but yeah. So my plan was to buy these all on my own. And then that kind of changed over time as I realized that I probably wasn't going to close any of these deals.
1: One part, I know, part of the challenge with closing your first deal, especially from out of state, is not just having the down payment funds, but understanding what the capital X funds are going to require, and having that capex money and that capex plan. But then also, a deal, a, a deal point that hurts a lot of folks is getting the debt. Um, you know, we're closing on a deal this week uh, here in Missouri, and the the it was a deal from one of my clients that said, "Look, I can't get the debt. I'm not local." And unfortunately, that's what a lot of the local banks. I just launched a mini-series on lending, so if people haven't listen to that, it'd be worth going back. But there's there's this kind of attitude with a lot of local banks. And you know, a lot of deals won't fund with big banks because they're too small or they're too destabilized or you know, something of the sort. And local banks, a lot of them just say, I, mean, I had one deal I sold, and the, the, the buyer was a really qualified buyer, in my opinion. And good net worth, good liquidity. Already owned three or four mobile home parks. And something like 178 banks told them no, and there's like you're not from around here we didn't we didn't play baseball when you growing up you don't go to we don't see you at church on sunday you know your kids aren't scouts and it was it, that's kind of become a problem if you don't have an you don't have a business relationship small banks relationship banks So you obviously being from california you had no banking relationships in the midwest or ohio and so tell us how that was a was a challenge and what you looked at, what, what you tried to do and how, and how some of that even was a challenge.
2: Yeah. So I got, I got a couple, you know, I got a couple of leads on banks that might finance MHP um, reached out to a couple of people in the space. You know, they, they seem responsive. They, you know, Hey, give us your personal financial statement, give us, you know, your schedule real estate owned, do the whole pitch deck. I did all that. And then they said, okay, well, you don't live here. So once, once you have an address here, we'll, we'll process your application. I was like, so basically they're saying you have to move here just to apply and not even guaranteed to get the loan. Right. So it's just all these things you read in the form you hear from people. I mean, it's, it's true. It's, it's probably possible, but it's, it's, it's very, very tough to have your first part, be out of state and get a loan. That's why, you know, and I actually had a loan broker who I know is successful because he's helped other people get loans, get nice loans. And he's, you know, he wasn't able to come through for me either. So I mean, I was, I was trying everything and then it kind of got down to the point where I was like, I'm, I'm, I thought I had three deals I'd possibly buy. I possibly, but I figured I was going to buy two out of three deals, maybe drop one, but it was looking like I'm not going to buy any of these deals. I just spent a lot of time, money. I mean, I was doing everything right. I was getting phase one. I was, you know, I had sunk costs. Um, so yeah. And I kind of reached, well, not necessarily panic mode, but I started looking at alternative options, partnering, um, which at, at first I was, you know, I kind of had the concept in my head that partnering meant, giving away something you worked hard for, or, you know, giving up a piece of the pie. And, you know, I, not that I was against that. I just kind of wanted to do it all on my own. So that's kind of how it went. So I didn't, I didn't end up getting any bank loans on any of those properties on my own.
1: Right, so then once you realize, I mean, this, this is, I think, common for a lot of folks. Once you realize it's harder to get the debt on your first deal, you know, that's why a lot of people do seller finance deals. The first deal which typically are deals that have more hair on them, private utilities, destabilized rural areas. Ones that are harder to get loans on. Um, so when if, if if that wasn't the case on these deals, which I know they weren't, then the next option is wholesaling or just assigning the deal for for a fee, which could be five thousand, could be fifty thousand, depends on. It could be twice, five times. that big, I guess it depends on the deal. Um, walk us through how the evaluation of wholesale versus partnership, and, and what that and what that looked like then, and what that looks like what that looks like now in your mind.
2: Yeah. So. My strategy all along was long-term. I was looking at big picture. I was making very good income in the car business, which, you know, so I, I could wholesale and take a fee, Best, just the same thing as, you know, a, a good month in the car business or possibly a little higher, but kind of likened to the same thing. It's once you collect that fee, you're back out looking for the next deal. So I was committed to sticking in the deal. I didn't really consider wholesaling these deals. I, I wanted to close them. So the long-term strategy in my mind was buy the park, hold, get the experience. I mean, I really wanted to get the experience and the ownership and, you know, and let him, you know, have that carry me down the road versus just getting a quick fee. So, yeah, so I, I didn't consider wholesaling it. I decided, you know, i was going to try to find someone to partner with. And that's kind of where you and I met, uh, went on, you know, where else did you go look for partners? You go on LinkedIn and you uh, guys for mobile home park lawyer, all these connections looking for mobile home parks in Kansas city. I was like, wow, this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. So I reached out to Ferb and, you know, it's kind of, we talked about, he liked the Kansas City Park and he liked the Des Moines, Iowa Park. And then, you know, we kind of t- talked, I guess the first thing was, my first goal was to talk to him about the Kansas City Park. That's, that's how we first connected.
1: All right. No, was, and what's, what's funny about that is uh, you found me on LinkedIn because I had this big active presence, but as you know, I, I had not been on LinkedIn in years. and I was just, <laughs> All of a sudden I just started, I'm going I'm to get an active presence to help build my law practice. And it worked out really well. The law practice worked out really well on the, the deal side, too. Help helped uh, you find me and me find you, so it was great. But too, what was cool about you, too, is you were, you, know, you said you were all in. Like You sold your house. You were committed to moving to whichever park you bought. And you moved to Kansas City, and uh, you stayed in a hotel for a few nights. And I thought you were going to go rent an apartment for six months. And you're like, hey, I like your neighborhood. I'm buying a house down the street. <laughs> and within three days or so of being here, you got a house under contract. You're like, oh, but by the way, it's a 45-day close. Uh, and what do you know? My my wife uh, is about as easy going as anybody, and she's like, I don't care. So, and she lets you stay in our basement for six <laughs> weeks as we were finding more deals, and, and then you ended up buying the street down house down the street. And uh, I don't know, we've been closing on a deal a month since you got here six months ago, so um, it's, it's been a, a fun journey, but um, also one thing that I think you 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 I think well. We we'll talked about your database and, and your strategy to find deals that help. One thing I know that helps find deals is is building rapport with sellers. Touch on a little bit of what you've been able to learn from an operational standpoint and how that's impacted your ability to relate with sellers, in, in, which undoubtedly is in a better way than you were able to six, eight months ago, trying to you know, talk to talk without having to walk the walk. Yeah. So. <laughs> back up a little bit just to staying in your house I kind
2: of left that part out yeah, if you're going to partner with someone and and you're truly going to want to learn the business you, you can't be in California and say hey I'm going to I'm going to actively participate when the the parks in Missouri and so is the operator you, you need I mean you can't you can only do so much remote you really can't do that much from afar so I, I committed to being all in like I said this wasn't a this wasn't just a talk the talk I mean I was going to walk the walk so I, I moved to Kansas City packed up moved. I mean, I, my family, some people still don't know why I moved here, but, you know, I moved here to, I, I didn't want to try to, and, and looking back with hindsight, some of the operational experience I've learned so far, I, there's, I, I just cringe at thinking about being in California and then getting a call that the pipes are frozen up. And ca- from California, I didn't even know that, I didn't even know about frozen pipes. I've never even, didn't even know that was a thing until I was back here in Kansas City dealing with it. Berg was with me Sunday night, I think it was Valentine's Day, we 11, 11 p.m. in the trailer park with the, you know, with the, the what's the, the heater thing, the salamander, I mean, heater. salamander heater. And also, yeah, so it's a lot of, I, mean, I can't do that from California. And once you kind of show that you're that committed, it helps, I mean, it helps everyone helps the partnership. So just wanted to touch on that, but back to the database and back to actually to having that hands-on experience that also has helped me talk with sellers. Um, you know, once I know about heat tape, I know about frozen pipes now. I didn't know that stuff before. The, the more you know, I know a lot about private utilities. I've seen a lot of private utilities. We purchased parts of private utilities. So the more you know, and the more hands-on field experience you gain, you, you can go on for sellers for hours and you're not faking it. You truly know it. You know, in, in the beginning, talking with sellers, you do have to kind of fake the funk a little bit if you're just starting out, which is okay. Um, I would say never lie to them. Uh, you, know, you can use stuff you've learned in podcasts and stuff. Don't lie to them. But yeah, a lot of this it's building the relationship, talking with them and, and not pressuring them. Like you said, like they have, these sellers have no, they have no urgency necessarily to sell. Sometimes they possibly do, but most of the time you pressuring a seller is not going to get you anywhere. So, I mean, we're, we're on a couple contracts a couple deals that, that actually was one of the guys that we have an Arkansas park. We have under contract was my first letter I ever wrote. And that was April of 2020. Right. So, I mean, it's taken, sometimes it takes a year. I've heard stories of taking longer. So, the main takeaway is get time in the field. It, you know it, That's going to help you immensely down the road when you're talking with sellers and just, just helps you overall as operations. That's a huge part is, is knowing the operational side. If you're going to try to find deals to wholesale or to purchase. So that's my advice on that.
1: No, that's, that's great advice. I mean, being able to talk to talk is, is so important and, and, and sellers can sniff it out. Think about that deal that dad found in Quincy. Um, he talked to that guy every six months for five years and, it's a great park and a great deal, and we met. He gave the price. We said okay. Um, it was it was a reasonable price, and he could have sold that to 100 people, but nobody else could get a hold of. Nobody else would sit there and go see him. You, what you did was you you got on a plane and you flew to Independence, Missouri, and met the seller. You flew to Des Moines, Iowa, met the seller. You flew to Ohio, yep. met the seller, um, and that showed you were serious. instead so of just am um, sending postcards and calling. Yeah, it's hard to you know, have a shotgun approach and do that everywhere. So I think it's one thing we've talked about is just, you know, be more of a rifle approach, you know, scope in on your target. And then, you know, I don't need to own trailer parks in forty nine States. Um, if I own 50 in five states, that's okay too. You know, there's, you know, there's a level of lack of diversification, I guess, with that, but there's a level of centralization efficiencies and understand your market as well. So whatever your target market is, I think it's just important to put in the effort to build rapport port you're right. Sellers don't need to sell in this environment. It's it's there's probably I, I can't guess, but I call it five percent of sellers out there that have not been contacted ten times. You know, those are the guys and gals that can barely be found. But most everybody like they know that you know we we're talking to a broker other today. It's like yeah, we just made an offer at this price in this deal. It's like that's twenty five percent higher than I offered six months ago. So uh, I'm not going to win on price. I got to win on hey, here's I'm different. Here's why I, I, I met with you, I'm serious, I can talk to talk, I'm a real closer, I'm mean, gonna I have this vision and goal for the community and so on, you've got to dis- distinguish and uh, separate yourself from the, from the crowd in something in some way other than price. Yeah, I mean, I agree.
2: If you're, if you're just starting out trying to find a deal, a lot of stuff that's on market, they're going to want, you know, they're going to want proof you can close. They're going to want, they're not going to, it's going to be hard. And the pricing is going to be way higher on market. So if you're just starting out, I mean, that's, that's the route you kind of have to go is, is to find a seller that let you, you know, type a park. Um, you know, there's, they're not going to ask you to send you necessarily know, proof of funds. A lot of times it's the sellers they'll, they'll out of relationship building, you know, they'll sign a contract with you and then, you know, it's on you to get that deal closed, but it's, it's just much more competitive on market. You're not going to have the, track record to have a broker look at you and stuff i mean so it's it's like i said it's like you mentioned also it's just rapport building i don't you don't have to fly out to every person you meet online or on you know through the phone and visit their park personally but it's a good idea to have visited the park and visited their, you know so that you know you're putting an offer on something you've seen and you're not wasting other people's time so that's that's a good i mean the relationship is it's just not, not to sound cliche it's kind of everything though as far as you know, if your price is a little bit lower and they've spent six months talking to you, they're going to pick you over some guy that comes in and offers them two hundred thousand dollars higher on a letter in, in the mail, right? So,
1: right, and haven't spent the time bonding with them. It, it's it's crucial. Now, let's let's tie that into assignment because you know sometimes I call you assignment, Andy, because you can be good at that as yeah. well. But we do not. so we're not just bagging on assignments and wholesales because there's definitely you know a place for that in the marketplace. And what we're closing on deal this week that somebody assigned us. So I'm I'm grateful for that. I think in general, you know, assignments are more like selling cars and taking equity in a deal and owning the deal is more long-term wealth. And I do think that the assignment industry has a limited shelf life because I think you know it's only a matter of time until this industry is consolidated. And once it's largely consolidated, I think the wholesalers are going to have trouble getting a fee from professional owner to professional owner. They have they have the opportunity now to get a fee from Monpa to the first professional owner. But if we're going to do an assignment and then you did one recently uh, in Nebraska, um, tell us how you worked on that deal and, and the difference between that and just, you know, a lot of guys get under contract, put it on Facebook forum, you know, and then it's, they just get out of the way and hope it closes and hope to see if they get a check the way that you did it, how we, how we selected the, the end buyer, which we'll keep confidential who that is, but how we selected the end buyer and then how we, you know, and largely you, Maintain the relationship with the seller. You may walk us through some of that process.
2: Yeah, so I had, you know, it was a park in Nebraska, little little far, far away, about nine hours from Kansas City. Had reached out to the owner, message him on LinkedIn, kind of started chatting with him. Got that park under contract, 120 space park, so great park. I mean, nice newer homes. We'd love to own it. It was just a little little further than we like, um, but we also knew an owner who owned a park down the street, so we visited the park all together with that owner bird was there drove nine hours to alliance nebraska like i said mm-hmm. i'm from california so I, a lot kansas city is cold to me the alliance nebraska so i don't know negative 20 degrees mm-hmm. some of these guys when i, I had the whole hunting mask that covers my face and everything but i you got to go you got to visit the site you can if you're if you're talking with the seller even if you're trying to wholesale a deal i still think you need to be involved every step of the process just so the seller i mean it, and it enhances your chances of, of closing the deal. So. We did the site visit, did all the due diligence. I spoke with the seller probably daily for a few months. Um, yeah, I mean, just was hands-on. I mean, still technically working on it a little bit to help out the buyer, right? Just out of, out of courtesy, right? I don't know. So it's just, if you're invested in the deal, either way, not, not look at it as a quick fix and then run, you know, I mean, you have to kind of just do the same steps as if you're gonna buy it, right? You wanna believe in the deal you're wholesaling and not just throw it to someone, hope they close and then you get a fee, right? So it was a part, we were interested in buying, we decided, hey, maybe it's a little bit too far for us, and this might be better suited for someone that's already in that market. They can add 120 units to their already 55 units, and so they got a nice portfolio there. So it was mutually beneficial, and so we're not anti-assignments. In that case, it's kind of a win-win. Um, you get a feed, they get an added value to the portfolio, and they got they got a good deal. I mean, we look
1: back it was probably a little bit better deal than we had realized, but um, but yeah, I, th- it, I think I think the key there was what you did. You, you, you kind of you hit it high level, but I want to drill a little bit further. The seller all along the way was working with you. You were the point of contact. You personally went on site, personally, you know, nine hours each way. You personally visited uh, 20 parking homes. And then you, you dealt with the surveyor. You dealt with the title company. You dealt with the phase one environmental. You pulled market cops. Um, you were involved in the budget and the financial analysis. And that we weren't involved, you know, in you in particular, we're not involved in the loan as much on this one, um, because it was a different guarantor on the loan. But the point being, you were basically evaluating on a regular basis. Is this a go/no go decision um, with a, with an end buyer that we had a relationship with that we wanted to make sure it worked out well for him. And if it was going to be a, if it was good if it wasn't good enough for us to buy, it wasn't good enough for him to buy. So we continually evaluated that process. Um, and, and, and I think that that was the buyer appreciates it. Like, look, we've got skin in the game. We had money up, um, effort up. And then we gift wrapped, not just gift wrapped, but you kind of gift wrapped um, a deal that's been vetted as opposed to here's this deal I tied up and I have no idea. I've never been there. I have no idea what it looks like and if it's any good. But here, here you go. You go spend money. I think it's harder to get to closing as a wholesaler when you all the work and responsibility to the end buyer. If the end buyer doesn't do it, your due diligence clock is burning. But if you babysit the deal and, and you know, in earnest evaluate the validity of the deal, if, if, it, if it gets through the DD process, it's gonna close. And then, and then of course, as a wholesaler, you want it to close, that's when you get paid. Um, and, and, and sometimes you can leave your fee in the deal and still retain some ownership. You can then, sometimes you can manage the deal post-closing for a fee. So it's, there's if you do it all right, and you have a, a symbiotic partnership with your end buyer, there's, you know, in car sales, right, there's, there's one way to get paid. You sell. If you're in a car dealership, you get paid another way. How do you get paid? You sell warranties, you sell finance, you sell repairs, you sell service. So what are your parts? So you know what, how do, what, what do car dealerships do? They give you the first six load changes for free. So you get used to coming there and you get in your, Oh, you want your tires rotated on the seventh will change. You might as well go back there. Right. So you get, they've, they've come up with a system to get paid over and over again, the way you get paid over and over again in the wholesale business, I think is you deliver so much value that you earn a right to sit at the table the day after closing where most guys day after closing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's hundred percent. I mean, if, in like on this
2: deal, if this deal had not penciled out and something came up that we thought was bad, I mean, I know there's, there's a fee at stake, right. But I mean, and from an ethical standpoint, I mean, I, we, I would have spoke up and told the seller, Hey, I don't, I don't think this is a go. And just, even though we're going to lose commission, it's not, it's not, you know, they're going to trust you even more They'll Maybe they'll buy the next deal from you. Right. So that's, that's the, the key to is to underwrite it and truly believe in the deal. If it's good, you know, it, it should go to close. If it's bad, you know, speak up and let that be known. So that was kind of the, the game plan on that. And just like you said, it's, it's established a long-term relationship with, with that, buyer. And, you know, so going
1: forward, I think that's, it's a win-win. I think that's, you know, that's right. You, know, you always hear, like you said, cliche relationships are everything, but that's a great book, by the way, I've read that. Um, but reality is they are. And on this particular buyer, we he already got another deal under contract. We underwrote it into the due diligence and recommended don't buy it. And he, and he listened to you and he didn't, you had put the an analysis and your commission on that is zero but your credibility is a hundred. So I think, you know, I've got that great, great book. I, I give out to every, I've probably given out 50 copies of the long view by Matthew Kelly. And it's just a short book. It's a speech he gave at uh, Gonzaga, I think it was Gonzaga, yeah. um, years ago, commencement speech, and he turned it into a book and he gives it away for free. I think you paid shipping or something, but, um, it just talks about taking that long view and, and there's, um, that's what we do here on the wholesale side, on the acquisition side. So I think that's, that's, that's powerful. I think your story is powerful that you you put in the effort, you had a vision, you were systematic and strategic. And, and you realized you know, uh, taking down a deal by yourself may not be for everybody, may not be for everybody, The first deal. And if you get a smaller pie of, of pie, it's better than all of no pie, or you get a smaller pie of lots of different pies. And that's what you've been able to do. And, um it's been great to see it work. Um, great to see you grow an operational IQ and, and continue to add value to your parks.
2: Yeah, it's been, I mean, looking back at where I'm at now, I mean, I've got four parks, closed on another one this week. So it's not not a huge, it's a big milestone in the sense that a, a year ago I had zero parks and was still working the car job. Actually, less than six months ago, I was still working the car job. But what you know, and I and by partnering, I had to plan to spend all my money on those three parks. Now we have more parks and still have, you know, still have money to spend on other stuff and to live. So, I mean, the partnering until you, I, I just hadn't opened my eyes to it. You're able to get further by partnering, even though it sounds counterintuitive. Partnering has allowed me to grow faster, learn a lot more, right? If you're, if you're partnering with someone that's good at operations, I mean, fur doesn't necessarily know every day that I mean, it's if I had to ask these questions of someone while trying to operate a park on my own, I would be asking someone a million questions a day versus partnering with someone. They leave by example, or, you know, you pick up tidbits each day. So I, I've, I've learned an endless amount of information that would have taken me probably years to find out on my own. So that's one of the major benefits of partnering aside from just being able to also get the deal closed. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. And then, like I said, that park in St. Charles was much bigger than I ever thought a park that I could, ever take down on my own. And, you know, I think so. I, I just really, you know, feel fortunate, but it's at the end of the day, you know, it kind of goes back to, there's a lot of sacrifice in the beginning. You can't, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not an overnight process. It's kind of people have to realize, but it, it will gradually progress and letters you wrote six months ago might hit, you know, they might sit that letter on their counter and then call you six months later and say they want to sell. So
1: just keep at it. And it'll, it'll come full circle before you know it. All right, man. Well, great advice, great, uh, great information to share, hopefully inspiring others to uh, follow your footsteps and get into this business, which we, we love so much. Before we jump, uh, where can people find you? How can they reach out to you, Andy?
2: You can find me on LinkedIn. I don't post a ton, but I try to, a lot of people message me about building a database, and I'm glad to help out and teach you guys what systems I use, what products. I mean, it's, it's, I enjoy doing it. There's enough mobile home parks for everyone. I I still think maybe in five years, I won't tell everyone how to find them, but right now I still think there's enough mobile home parks to go around. So you can find me on LinkedIn or you can email me. It's andy at third four That's third ID properties.com. And I'm, I'm glad to help. Right. I'd like, I mean, definitely not trying to hold information close to the best. I'll share, share any information and tricks I have. So
0: appreciate it having me on. All right, man. Thanks, Andy. See you later.